You're listening to Catholic Chicago Week in Review on Relevant Radio 950 AM and 930 AM. During the next hour, the Archdiocese of Chicago brings you conversation about the people, events, and issues that touch our lives. Welcome to Catholic Chicago Week in Review. Good morning. I'm Michael May of the Archdiocese of Chicago's radio TV office. Glad to be with you today for Catholic Chicago Week in Review. Every Saturday morning, we bring you highlights of our local Catholic radio programs that can be heard Monday through Friday from 8 to 9 in the morning on WNDZ 750 AM. Our broadcast week began with Catholic Chicago hosts Father Greg Sakowitz and Mark Teresi. They spoke with Sister Stephanie Beliga. Sister Stephanie is one of the very dedicated Franciscans of the Eucharist of Chicago who could be found helping people in the West Humboldt Park neighborhood through the mission of Our Lady of the Angels. Recently, Sister Stephanie ran an entire marathon on a treadmill. The former long-distance runner at the University of Illinois now runs for God, and she was raising funds for the mission. Let's listen in. How are you, Stephanie, this morning after your treadmill marathon? Doing pretty good for post-marathon. Now, how did you come up with this idea of running a marathon on a treadmill? Yeah, it's a great question. So, um, as a lot of people know, um, the Chicago Marathon was canceled. Um, but so in April, I had promised our charity team that we have for the Chicago Marathon. We have uh, over a hundred people that would have run the Chicago Marathon in support of Mission of Our Lady of Angels. When things were looking badly in April, I was like, I, I, I'm so sure they're not going to cancel this race. But if they do cancel the race, I promise to run a marathon on a treadmill. This is big statements for me, random, kind of randomly. And then, of course, they actually canceled the race. So uh, <laughs> there stood my promise to do this, um, and and so I did it. There you go. That was kind of what happened. That is amazing. And how successful were you? I read in the paper you did it about three hours and how long? I ran it in three hours and 33 minutes, which included the timing of three power outages we had where the treadmill shut off. Um, so wow. now, wait, wait, what, what, what caused the treadmill to shut off? Just over uh, It kept blowing the circuit. It kept blowing the circuit in the night, the, like the wiring in the 1955 convent we live in. So we eventually switched the outlet, which solved the problem. But oh, so you blew um, the power in the convent. <laughs> That's, there's, there's, there's another story. And now, when you're running 26 miles on a treadmill, it's one thing to do a marathon outside and have nature and the streets and up and down all that whole thing. But to do a treadmill marathon, was that boring? Well, so it wasn't boring because I was very blessed that um, lots of people were joined me on Zoom. So I had, uh, there was a, this is a whole thing was shown on Zoom, and I had people from all different parts of my life uh, join me on Zoom throughout the entire experience. So it definitely wasn't boring. But it was definitely more challenging because of the lack of not, because of the not going anywhere piece. You know, they're just, like, literally obviously in the same spot. So and that was what, very challenging. Stephanie, at um, what mile marker did you hit the wall? Um, so the concept of hitting the wall is kind of interesting. I had a, I had a cramp, a pretty big cramp, like, mile 18, and then I then I, which resolved, and then I started really suffering at, like, mile 23. How was your which ankle? not surprising because of I didn't train very much for this, so. How is your ankle? I remember you had had an injury in college, right? Does that ankle still bother you? Yeah, I broke all kinds of bones in college, and does no, I don't run enough anymore for anything like that to bother me. Oh. Like I don't train, I don't train enough for any of that to be a problem anymore. <laughs> so. so I know you ran the marathon last October because you were on the program here, 
and you raised a tremendous amount of money. How much money was raised yesterday? Or is it still going to be coming in for a while? Yeah, we raised $102,000. Yesterday? With, the, with, the, with Essentially yesterday. Well, during the 24 hours of yesterday, we raised over $50,000. But the... Um, uh, the the treadmill marathon fundraiser itself, not counting the other money the team has raised over over this year, is over a hundred thousand dollars and, and rising. Now, Sister Stephanie, explain to folks the wonderful ministries that this money funds. People may not be familiar with Our Lady of the Angels Ministries, and you do tremendous, tremendous work. Yeah, so um, we're at Mission Number Lady of the Angels on the West Side in West Hall Park. Uh, where the historic 1958 fire, mm-hmm. Our Lady Angels School fire occurred. Um, yeah, that's, that was, that's, um, it'll be in people's minds etched forever, those that are old enough to remember. Yeah. I was five years old, and I, I was kindergarten. I remember that. And it was just a horrible, tragic day in Chicago, the nation, the world. What was it? 93 children and six or three sisters passed, died in the fire. Yeah, it was a horrible, horrendous uh, national tragedy. And it changed the whole neighborhood and the in the... In the uh, Scope of the parish. Yeah, it completely transformed all of our neighborhoods. So tell us about some of the ministry you do there in the parish or the, yeah, the so we, mission. So we serve uh, the neighborhood, which is now uh, quite poor. Um, right now, during the pandemic, our food pantry has tripled the size it normally is. We've been serving 3,000 families a month, wow. each with uh, 50 to 60 pounds of food each. So my main training for this marathon was moving food. Um, cause we, that's what I do all day, mostly every day. So, um, the sense of, so we were able to, a lot of the money from the funders is going to go to that. Normally when it's non-pandemic, we do a lot of work with families and senior citizens and youth, a lot of which has been suspended because of the pandemic. Um, but we do have different outlets to still reach these people during that time. But the food pantry has become our main thing during the pandemic because of, the increased need and overwhelming number of donations coming in for the pantry. How many sisters work with you? There's there's nine sisters here, and then Brother Matt and Father Bob Lombardo. And your order is relatively new, isn't it? Yeah. We're, so, yeah, we're called the Franciscans of the Eucharist of Chicago, and we were founded in 2010. So we're very new. And was the founder, was that Father Bob? Father Bob's the founder, yeah. When you see Father Bob, tell him uh, I say hello along with uh, Mark, and you have a great community there, and uh, so much has happened. Now, just a little sidebar. If a young lady or gentleman would like to enter the community or even think about it for discernment, who would they contact, Stephanie? Yeah, they can go to Franciscans of the Eucharist of Chicago.com. One more time. Uh, Franciscans of the Eucharist of Chicago.com. Okay. Or if you just type in Franciscans of the Eucharist of Chicago into Google, comes up. And um, there's you can check a little bit out about the community. There's an email address and a phone number on there if anyone's interested in discerning. With what us. is the phone number, by the way? Uh, the phone number for vocations and donating and talking to us, all the things, is 773 773- Four eight six eight four three one. The number once again. Yeah, seven seven three four eight six eight four three one. Now again, we'll the ministry, but just back up a little bit here. Is give us a little bit about it, your own background, Sister Stephanie. I know that you were at the U of I. You were a big runner, and then tell us what happened in your life, which I know the story, which I'm not. Gonna, I'm gonna let you tell it. I already know it. That uh, changed your life with the call of God. Yeah, so I was a very talented runner at U of I. Um, we were, my team at the time was very good. We were, um, 
eighth and sixth in the nation my freshman and sophomore year, and I was on a scoring member of both those teams. And uh, I was the sixth best freshman in the nation in 2006. Wow. Um, and so then, uh, then my sophomore year, I broke my foot, uh, and r- due, due to running, and um, that was a uh, opportunity for me to completely reevaluate my life and to really think about well, what was important um, and why I was doing what I was doing. Um, and this, you know, the realization that I was not going to be a professional runner and a lot of these maybe kind of random dreams I had were not going to be true happen. And so I then started going, um, getting more involved with the Newman Center at University of Illinois and uh, uh, ended up going on a retreat where I had a very powerful experience at Iteration where I realized that Jesus is really present in the Eucharist. And if Jesus is really present in the Eucharist, that changes everything about everything. Mm-hmm. So that led me to... Uh, begin to um, honestly to start praying. So I never really prayed before that very much, and to actually kind of catechize myself because I didn't know much about the faith. Uh, and then, yeah, led, that eventually led to my uh, discernment of my uh, vocation. When you broke your ankle, did you go through a phase of being very angry at God, saying, "How dare you do this? I had a great career planned, a uh, running career, and that whole thing." And all of a sudden, you break your ankle. You're literally stopped in your tracks. What are some of the phases you went through in terms of just, uh, you know, not walking on crutches for a while? Yeah, it was, I don't know if I was ever angry with God. I was more, like, confused. Um, I think I was just like, this. it didn't make sense more. It was like, a, I don't get this, what's the deal um, type of thing. Like, you Someone needs to explain to me what's going on, and then he definitely did. God definitely came in and was like, okay, hey, this is what's going on. Um, I need you to rethink everything. Did <laughs> so you, those are more of the yeah, main, the main sure. feelings that I had. Yeah. Did you have someone that you really tuned into in terms of this journey toward um, your consecrated life? Did, did, is there someone that really helped guide you through to your new commitment? Yeah, there were some there were some people at the Newman Center at U of I, uh, sister named Sister Sarah, and then a professor named Dr. Howell at U- University of Illinois that really helped me uh, there um, and guided me in my discernment. And the Newman Center, uh, those are important important places for our young people to tune into in terms of just their journey, their religious journey. Yeah, we're very blessed. At University of Illinois has one of the best Newman Centers in the country because it mm-hmm. has a dorm attached to it, as well as a, a relatively large staff compared to other Newman centers of people and missionaries and uh, priests. As you're talking, Stephanie, reminds me of two lines, and that is uh, one from a John Lennon song that says, Life is what happened while I was making other plans. And one that I just heard recently is, we talk about, oh, what a coincidence that happened, what a coincidence. And the definition is, or an idea, a coincidence is God's way of remaining anonymous. Okay. Yeah, I think yeah, I a think it's very true. Coincidence is God's way of remaining anonymous, and so you look at your own journey, and you had your life carved out where you were going to go with it because you were a talented, you know, gifted runner, and all of a sudden you break your ankle doing something you love, running, and change the whole course of your life. Marathon on a treadmill, three hours, thirty-three minutes. That that would have been my time for the first mile oh my god um, now is that is that the fastest marathon you ever ran stephanie 
Oh no, no, I've ran a two fifty three marathon before. Wonderful. Two fifty three. This is kind of like a I'm I'm ironically not in very good shape right now. So that was what I was able to do. But so. you know, three and a half now three and a half hour marathon averages out to be what per mile? I am I gonna get a piece of paper? It was like eight minutes per mile. That's tremendous. And and you're not and that's considered for you not good. Wow. That's great. I mean, <laughs> it's all relative. I mean, I didn't train, so it was a, it was pretty good. I could do a that's marathon. I could do a marathon driving. That's Greg, Greg's <laughs> mantra. I'm not in real good shape right now. <laughs> he and I together share that mantra. Anyway, seriously though, uh, so Sister Stephanie, this is the only thing I can't what, have for breakfast is lunch and dinner. <laughs> when, You're hilarious. When, I mean, this was a life shift for you to all of a sudden want to pursue becoming a religious what what was your family reaction were they surprised did they see it coming um yeah they were definitely surprised they didn't really see it coming um the initial reaction was just shock but then everyone came around pretty quickly um my mom at the time was not catholic she later converted wow uh, so that was sweet. I was her confirmation sponsor. Oh, how wonderful. That That's was amazing. Cool. Yeah. Um, she was, she had gone to mass. They, they raised us, my, me and my brother, Catholic, but she just, she went to mass with us, but just had never received communion and didn't, you know, she was kind of going because the decision to raise us Catholic, but mm-hmm. she actually converted um, when I was a sister. And then, yeah, my dad um, was, he worked I think he, he had a lot of pictures of a lot of nuns who hadn't been so kind to him in the Catholic school experience. Oh, wow. Um, but after he processed the that experience, he was doing great. Everyone, yeah, everyone's excited about it. Where was home? Where did you grow up? I grew up in Rockford. Oh, oh. sure. Where'd you go to high school? I went to Rockford-Auburn. Rockford-Auburn. It's not Catholic. Yeah, the thing is, but, but you were a little girl being raised. Your family went to Mass. Your mother's yeah, not we Catholic. Mm-hmm. Your dad is Catholic, but had some bad experiences in terms of just uh, from his earlier years. But somehow yeah. uh, the Lord really touched and transformed your life. And then all of a sudden, see, a lot of times when there's a vocation like that, parents will say, take some time off, think about it, what's wrong with you, get it out of your system. Mm-hmm. And uh, But your parents were, after the initial shock, were very supportive. And then just out of curiosity, when you discerned to enter the community, First of all, how did you find this community, this mission? The Fran- how did you find um, the Franciscans? Yeah. So I was pretty sure, it was pretty clear that God had told me pretty much that I was going to join after college so that like I wasn't going to do something else in between. Mm-hmm. So, um, except this got very difficult because it was like February of my senior year and I still had no community. There was like nothing that was... <laughs> There was nowhere to go. So um, so I was kind of wandering. Um, and so then a priest at U of I told me, hey, do you know about this new community that's getting formed in Chicago? I'm like, no way. And he knew I was I was very, felt very called to Franciscan life. And he's mm-hmm. like, yeah, they're Franciscans. And I'm like, no way, seriously? So then like the next weekend, I like got on a bus and came up here and uh, from Champaign. What year, was and, this, uh, what year was this, Stephanie? That was 2010. Which means... Literally, you were entering as the whole community was being formed. Exactly. Yeah. So the community was not like didn't officially exist on paper yet. It was a it was a discernment community uh, at the time that I discerned. I wonder how that priest even knew about this community being formed to even tell you this. Because I, you know, honestly, I didn't. 
Yeah, he knew Sister Alicia, the Sister Alicia of Cap's fame. So he knew her through various things. And he's, so he had referenced me to talk to her. She studied, at, she studied at Mundelein, at seminary, we too. All stu- yeah, we all studied at Mundelein. What I, degree, have degree, what, I also have a degree from Mundelein. What degree did you get? I got uh, the new degree, the Masters of Arts in Pastoral Studies. Okay. That's one of the late late people degrees. I remember I was up at Munline. I helped uh, with the development program there. And I remember walking in the cafeteria. Anytime you folks were there, there was a sense of excitement and joy. I remember somebody's birthday or running around distributing licorice to everybody happy you know i mean there was yeah, just where do you find i mean this is a community that works so hard sees so much pain and yet there's a joy in in your community that's you can, it's palpable you can feel it How, where does it come from uh i mean our lives are based in our relationship with jesus and the obviously our our capacity to grow in deeper relationship with Jesus continues to give us more and more joy over time, mm-hmm. despite the insane things that are happening everywhere right now. So, um, so obviously, especially during the re- recent activities of COVID mm-hmm. and associated, um, the the need to just completely abandon oneself to the will of God is becoming increasingly obvious because uh, of the despair and suffering and difficulties around us. Now, so Stephanie, are, our joy comes from that. We believe. Now, along yes. those lines, we're talking about COVID. How has COVID nineteen changed your ministry within the faith community on the west side there, in, or in the back in the, in the Humble Park area? That uh, I know hundreds of people would come to you daily weekends. I presume a lot of that has now changed. I know we're no longer stay at home, but you know, if the cathedral we used to draw thousands, and it's much fewer now because people are afraid, and right. we don't have a sense of you know the gatherings were not allowed. A lot of it's Zoom. So how has the face of ministry changed for your mission? Yeah. So most of the things we do were completely stopped, um, including some of us teach. I teach part time. Sister Alicia teach part time. Obviously, all of that went online too. So it was yeah, every like everything stopped dramatically as for all of us on you know March 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 thirteenth. So, but then the our as I mentioned, the food pantry did not stop. We never we never closed the food pantry. Never there was never a week missed for the food pantry. So that we were spending a lot of time making sure that we can still distribute the amount of food that we normally do, um, and we have spending spending a lot of time making sure that we've been getting enough donations for the food pantry. Uh, we had to really decrease the number of volunteers that we had for a long time. So that uh, made the pantry more time-consuming as well. Uh, two things. Uh, first, uh, you're teaching, I think in one of the newspaper articles said 9 o'clock today you have a class? No, they, yeah, there was an, uh, next week. Oh, after, next week. I, I only teach part-time. I teach on only two days a week. And who so. do you teach? I teach uh, kindergarten through eighth grade at St. Sylvester School in Palmer Square. And do they know that you did this marathon? I wonder what their reaction was. That's I don't know. They'll I would think, find boy, out. they think, <laughs> boy, is that a cool nun? That she, that <laughs> they already she, think I'm pretty crazy, so that works out. <laughs> <laughs> but the second thing was I want to make sure we, we get in the idea of how 
can people support your ministry? I mean, give, give us that contact info again. If they want to talk to you personally about this. Make a donation. Yeah, make exactly. Make a donation. Could you give us as much info as you can so people know how to yeah. get in touch with you? So the Treadmill Marathon fundraiser is, you can get to the direct donation link at olagiving.com. So olagiving.com is the direct donation link for the marathon fundraiser, the Treadmill Marathon fundraiser. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you want to learn more about the mission, um, it's at missionola.com. So missionola.com is where um, you can get information about the mission um, and all kinds of other stuff. And then if you want to talk to us, you can call us at 773 773- Four eight six eight four three one. Could you repeat that number again? Yeah. Yep, seven seven three four eight six eight four three one. For more information about Sister Stephanie and the mission of Our Lady of the Angels, visit missionola.com. That's missionola.com. Up in Lake County, a disproportionate number of Latinx and Black residents have been diagnosed with COVID nineteen. This past week on The Voice of Charity, co-hosts Marie Jokum and Bridget Murphy welcomed Carrie Rosita's Sheftel and Cynthia Vargas to the program. They discussed how community partners in Lake County are working together on innovative projects to address this critical matter and educate people on how they can help stop the spread of the virus. Good morning and welcome back to The Voice of Charity. This is Marie Jokum and Bridget Murphy. And we are here today talking with Dr. Kari Rosita Sheftel, the manager of Latino Affairs and University Initiatives with Catholic Charities, and Cynthia Vargas, director of community relations at Lake County's state's attorney's office. Cynthia, I can't be the only one who's confused (laughs) about the involvement of the state's attorney's office in something like this. It doesn't quite line up for me. Tell us how you got involved. So as you know, the Lake County State's Attorney's Office, we're a prosecution's office and we're a criminal justice entity. Um, The reason that we um, have a stake in in this whole ACL project is because we also work in the courts. And the courts, unfortunately, the criminal justice system does not stop. So we obviously have to make sure that even within the systems that work alongside us, and who impact us in their everyday lives, um, that we are able to make a difference in a positive way and being proactive and not reactive. So the impact that we cause in our community at a greater level is going to eventually impact the criminal justice system. So those who are accessing service through the courthouse, whether it be an order of protection for a domestic violence victim, whether it be a traffic issue that they're coming into court with, we want to make sure that those people that are coming in are also knowledgeable in the COVID, also know what to do when they're coming into um, public facilities, not only the courthouse, are also aware of how committed the state's attorney, Mike Nierheim, is right now with the Latino community and all communities as a whole, not only in a criminal justice sense, but also in a health and safety sense. And so these are um, some of the reasons why we're so involved. The other thing is, State's Attorney Nierheim um, is very aware um, of the community he serves. And due to that, he is also aware of the needs where we need to bridge gaps. Um, and to him, it doesn't matter if, you know, if, if it's relevant to the system or not. As long as we have a stake and we're helping and we're making a difference and we're educating, that's what's first and foremost for our office. That makes so much sense. Mm -hmm. It's sort of startling in its um, simplicity. And I think, 
you know, all these conversations we're having as a nation um, and really reckoning with a, a variety of things, the, the idea that the criminal justice system doesn't sit outside of our regular lives um, and, and that really human services can work along the criminal justice system to, to address some of these things. I, I certainly hope it's the way forward, but your office sounds like it's doing a tremendous job. Tell us some of the education and marketing initiatives. Um, I know you've done some Facebook Lives. It sounds like you're out in the community. What are you doing to get the word out? So with our marketing and communications team, we partnered and we, we meet every Wednesday. And we always um, sit and analyze where our families are um, needing the most resources in. And through this analyzation, what we found is that families were losing jobs due to COVID. Um, families weren't able to afford hand sanitizer and masks. Um, families were not answering um, contact tracer um, questions where, you know, contact tracing is super important during a pandemic because it tells the health department where the infection originated from in order to contain that area of infection. And so we basically identified all of the areas where we needed to educate the community and build trust upon within our community. We identified nine cities of the highest concentration of infections, and we focused in those nine cities for education within Lake County. And out of that analysis came out um, needs such as mental health, counselor resources, so the counselors were closed for three months. And so mm -hmm. people needed to obtain vital records and vital documents mm -hmm. for their children, for their, um, you know, for their maybe everyday needs that they might need. And so we identified areas where the counselors can assist their citizens. Um, and so we set up a presentation with the counselors. We set up presentations with the workforce development for further education resources or um, any kind of employment resource that someone might need. Um, and, you know, just through the analysis and the communication we have at a graded level with the rest of the group is how we identify the need within the community and then launch an education strategy for our community through Zoom, through Facebook, through flyers, through Puro Futbol, who's our local newspaper here, the Chicago Tribune, um, the Daily Herald, so we have had really good media attention to all of these initiatives, which we are so grateful for because Highwood has actually reduced their um, contagion number to zero percent. That's amazing. Yeah. So which which is really good. You know, we're working so diligently. Our first distribution was a success. We gave out over 2,700 kits to the Waukegan community. So, you know, we basically... We're so familiar with our, our county here. We serve a population of 700,000 people, and we know that we have a high concentration of Latinos within those 700,000 people. And so serving the community in a capacity where you identify the areas where the need is, specifically in the Latino community, you strategize and you launch your mm -hmm. education um, initiatives. 
You know, Cynthia, I think listening to you just kind of lay that out, I, you you all have um, highlighted and demonstrated exactly how a community responds yeah. together um, mm-hmm. in a crisis. And I think uh, there's a lot to be learned um, moving forward as we come out of this about how you do things and how you do things right. So kudos to all of you. Can you share with our listeners what are those kits and what kind of support do you need um, in the future? Yes, for sure. So the kits um, were, so we received a few, a couple grants. The first grant we received was from the Lake County Community Foundation and a local um, empowerment, empowerment, like little local business helped us with, with the, being the fiscal agent. Their name is Kurt's Cafe and they assist people who are um, basically coming either out of the justice system or people who um, need entrepreneurship skills, and they guide them into learning those skills. And so they're a part of the ACL, and they served as our fiscal agent. And the first distribution was thanks to the Lake County Community Foundation's grant at $30,000. And that grant purchased um, hand sanitizer, purchased disposable masks and reusable masks, um, and then we also included information on the census in those kits, and we included an education pamphlet. And the education pamphlet consisted of a thank you letter and a letter of encouragement and empowerment to our community members. It included an explanation of each of the products that was within the kit, and it included CDC safety guidelines on how to wash your hands, how to wear your mask, and what to do if, if you find out someone becomes infected with COVID. And that was all done in Spanish. So these kits went out, and then after we were done with that distribution, we got the good news that Lake County had awarded the ACL and the African American Partnership Community Group, who is our sister group, with a $1 million um, grant. Incredible. So the Lake County Board Board, um, has approved these funds for us to be able to continue our marketing and education, as well as to continue to purchase uh, safety kits for the remaining eight cities that we have uh, that we have identified. In total, we will be giving seventy thousand kits to families that include the same product. That's that is truly truly incredible and very very important. I'm, it it sounds. Um, like the generosity of the Lake County Board is going to help you make those kits. How about, yeah. uh, do you need volunteers? You know, we've got some really engaged and informed listeners. Do you need volunteers to help distribute these kits? Yes, we always need volunteers. Our next distribution, we're going to set up in, in the Round Lake areas. And so we always need volunteers to assemble the kits. We always need volunteers to help us um, find places where Maybe um, someone's generous enough to donate um, either the items or their time, whatever the case may be. Resources will always be needed and um, appreciated as a whole. So um, whenever we do need volunteers, we have a Facebook page. And it's in Spanish, it's the Asociación Comunitaria Latina, Latino Community Association. And what we do is we um, use a Google link. And Great. so we have people fill out the, the volunteer form online, uh-huh. and obviously in those quest, within those questions, we ask if anyone has had any COVID symptoms or if anyone has experienced a high temperature in terms of um, their health. So we do ask the questions, and if anyone's feeling um, ill, we ask them to seek medical attention instead of, you know, obviously using their time to come help. So we 
do have a setup system. If anyone is interested in contacting us, we, we the only right now the only stream of contact we have is Facebook Messenger. So we would be more than happy to send over that information to you guys. Um, but it is in Spanish, and it's the Asociación Comunitaria Latina at Facebook Messenger for any questions that anyone has regarding donations or regarding volunteers. For more information about the services offered by Catholic Charities and how you can help, visit catholiccharities.net. That's catholiccharities.net. Time now for a break, and when we return, we will be treated to some contemporary gospel music. Back in a moment. The 23rd Annual Monsignor Michael Bolin Golf Invitational was unfortunately canceled for this year, but we are still gathering online to offer support to Catholic Charities Family Stabilization Services that benefit each year from this outing. Catholic Charities has been working nonstop throughout the pandemic to help the growing number of people who have lost their jobs and never before imagined needing assistance. Can you help us help them? Become a sponsor, purchase raffle tickets, or simply make a donation to help people who are very much in need this summer. This special online drive and raffle continues through August 31st. For more information, visit the events page on Catholic Charities' website and look for the Monsignor Bolin Golf Invitational. Thank you for helping make this a major win for a great cause this year. Do you have a gently used laptop or desktop computer that is gathering dust in your home? Consider donating to our Catholic Charities Veterans Computer Project. We will clean out your device, give it new software, and repurpose it for a veteran who is looking for employment. Your gift will make an incredible difference in a veteran's ability to find a job. Catholic Charities provides veteran services throughout Lake and suburban Cook Counties, giving participants an array of professional and personal support. Our veterans have served our country, and it is our privilege to serve them. To learn more about Catholic Charities Veterans Services and the Veterans Computer Project, call 847-782-4219. That's 847-782-4219. You're listening to Catholic Chicago Week in Review on Relevant Radio, 9.50 a.m. and 9.30 a.m. Every Saturday from 9 to 10 a.m., the Archdiocese of Chicago presents programming about the people, events, and issues that touch our lives. Thanks for letting us be part of your morning. Now again, Catholic Chicago Week in Review. Welcome back to Catholic Chicago Week in Review, a program that brings you highlights of our local Catholic radio programs that can be heard Monday through Friday from 8 to 9 in the morning on WNDZ 750 AM. And here's a reminder that you can also listen to all our programs live or at your convenience by going to radiotv.artchicago.org. That's radiotv.artchicago.org. And all our radio programs are available on all of your favorite podcast platforms, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Anchor. So subscribe today. We continue our program today with a segment of Catholic Chicago, where hosts Father Greg Sackowitz and Mark Teresi welcomed Father Larry Dowling, pastor of St. Agatha Parish, and Dennis Smith, music director of the St. Agatha Gospel Choir. The topic was the new CD by the choir, It's Over, It's All Right. Here's a highlight. Dennis, now, are you from Chicago originally, Dennis? Yes, I'm from Chicago. 
Where'd you go to high school? I went to high school at Risen Old High School on Pulaski and Chicago Avenue. And you've been connected with uh, St. Agatha for how many years? 24 years. Wow. Now, it's interesting because uh, the co-host of the program with me, Mark Teresi, is like you, a tremendous background musically. And so I'm going to let maybe Mark ask a question or two from one music director, former music director, to a present music director. How does okay. your choir inspire you? I bet if, if you're there 24 years, they have to keep renewing in you the spirit of the music that you're hopefully creating together. Yes. Um, they're faithful in uh, the choir and they're faithful in singing and just the hearts of the people mm-hmm. in the church and the parish, you know, they love the songs. So I try to not do a lot of contemporary. I like to try to do a lot of traditional stuff. A lot of in between, you know. I don't want to like cross the bar, like go too far, you know. Well, the audience doesn't, you know, understand the music. So I try to keep it, you know, keep it, you know, real basic and real simple. Maybe maybe a little bit over the bar, but something that everybody can relate to, you know, with the spirit. Now, Dennis, the question is, how did you come up with the title "It's Over, It's All Right" as the title of your uh, gospel CD? Okay, well, uh, uh, at, at that particular time in my life I was going to, you know, all of us have those trials and tribulations we go through, but this one time I really went through something and I was like, Lord, how am I going to get through this? You know, I'm like, you know, you know, I, you know, how you really you test your faith. I'm like, well, I know we're going to get through this. You don't have to have the faith to get through. And then I kind of depend on my music room and I just I said, Lord, I need these words and this music. Then the words just came together. It's over. It's all right. No matter what you're going through. God will see you through. It's over. It's all right. That's how I came about. I like that. So there's a spiritual dimension, uh, which I've always discovered with the music in terms of, in terms of people. The music heals. Um, yes. But there's also a therapeutic, physically therapeutic dimension uh, to music, which gives you it's po- it's positive, like. One of the songs that our choir did was Traveling Shoes. I don't know if you ever did that. It's yes, I, yes. <laughs> I love that song. And I just felt the people understanding that, you know, our journey is to Christ. That's our journey. We're expressing it in music. And, you know, 30 voices become one voice. I mean, right. Now, what, what were some of the selections that immediately came to you that were like spiritually healing for you that you put on the CD? Definitely the first one is over, it's all right. Because in the second verse, it says, have faith. You know, we have to have faith, then believe, it's all right. Then the last one, if God said it, you know, if he said it, it's all right. <laughs> mm-hmm. So going through those, you know, and I said, Lord, was just, and I just sat down and started playing, and started, tears started to flow, and the words just came. Then the, the very last part of the song said, yes, it's all right. Yes, like it. it's all right. In fact, I'm getting a cue here from our engineer, Michael May, that we're going to actually listen to one of the uh, selections from the CD. So here we go. Listen up and let's sing along. Enjoy. Enjoy. Thank you. Hallelujah. It looks like you, Jesus. It's over. It's all right. It's all right. 
Oh, yes, it is. Somebody wave your hand and say, It's over. Over, it's all right. The newest contemporary gospel CD, led by Dennis Smith, the music director and the choir. Dennis, the group is outstanding. Is that you singing there, Dennis? Oh, that is one of my friends, uh, of Chicago's famous vocalist, Minister Tim White. Beautiful. They are, they are excellent. Now, let me beautiful. ask, Father Larry Dowling, you are pastor of St. Agatha, so you are privileged to hear this music week in and week out. As a priest, as a man of God. When you are celebrating, presiding at liturgy, what does music like this do to your heart and soul? It touches the very, very 
core of my being. Um, I mean, it's just been one of the great gifts of uh, ministering um, to and with this community. Uh, it's, uh, uh, you know, just the, the music, is, you know, from day one, uh, just just spoke to, as I you know, often say, to my the very core of my being, the very core of my spirit. And, uh, and so it's always enlivening, uh, sometimes very consoling, uh, sometimes very challenging. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it really does, um, you know, uh, cut to, uh, you know, cut to the very heart of, uh, of, uh, my spirit and, and, you know, enlivens me and, and, uh, you know, just, uh, you know, uh, keeps me going. I mean, I, I, so you can I actually begin mass and feeling kind of down by the end of liturgy. You're pumped. Oh man. Yes. <laughs> yes. All right. <laughs> no question. It's all right. <laughs> I had a question. Um, I listen to this song, very moving, very moving. Thank you. Especially with what we're experiencing, uh, not individually as a family and as a church. How Mm -hmm. do you get this song to everybody in every church in every part of the Archdiocese of Chicago to uplift them? How do we do that? Well, our uh, city, we have hand copies that I have at the church. Well, I would deliver them to our parishes. Plus, is on every outlet: City Baby, Amazon, iTunes, on every, all the digital outlets. They can download it. Okay, that, that's interesting. In fact, we're getting moving along here in the program. We're going to actually go to the next selection with okay. the uh, new contemporary gospel CD. The CD is entitled "It's Over, It's All Right." The name of this song is "Jesus, You Died for Us." All right. Flesh and blood, soul and divinity, freely given us by our Heavenly Father, God's only Son, you lived with us, you suffered for us, died for us, rose for us, you loved and ever love us. Jesus, our brother, innocent victim, surrendering totally to the Father's will, Emptied of all ego, you gave yourself fully that we might rise daily to be life for others. That on that final day, we will rise with you to the joys of eternal life.
on WNDZ 750 AM, Father Greg Sackowitz and Mark Freed at the time is 821. We're listening to a beautiful selection called Jesus, You Died for Us, the new contemporary gospel CD. It's over, it's all right. The St. Agatha Gospel Choir, led by Dennis Smith, the music director, and Father Larry Dowling is the pastor, and Mark, take it over. Larry, that intro text, um, did you write that? Uh, I did. That's what that was my guess. I was saying that to uh, I was saying that to Mark uh, during the break. Is that beautiful, Larry? You're a great writer. Do you uh, get residuals poet. now? <laughs> <laughs> Only in heaven. <laughs> now was that was that selection entire CD um, taped or done at Saint Agatha in the church? Yeah, we recorded it live uh, at the church. I think oh. it was November 11th. We did we did, we did it live. That's a beautiful. Beautiful recording. It was it really very professional. H- how did you do that? H- did you have a company come in and help? Or? Yep, had a, a, a recording company out of, I think, Glenview called uh, Metro Mobile. Tim Powell is a remote recording. Uh, he has a big van. He goes around and does live recording. Dennis, if someone would like to get a copy of this new CD, It's Over, It's All Right, how can they do so? Okay, they can call the church, St. African Catholic Church. Seven seven three five two two three zero five zero. That number once again. Seven seven three five two two three zero five zero. Or they can go in all the digital outlets: iTunes, CD Baby, Amazon. From all the digital outlets. Our thanks to Dennis and Father Larry for that uplifting segment. Finally, Father Greg and Mark spent some time talking with Josh Goralski, who heads up an organization called Unlocking Communities. According to that group's website. They equip entrepreneurs with the education and tools to sell sustainable products that unlock economic, social, and environmental transformation in their communities. Let's take a listen. Where did this come from, the idea of how this has grown in faith, this project and all the work you're doing? Yeah, I mean, I grew in faith because of my parents. They, they led us by example, and I remember as a kid growing up, 
I wanted to do social justice walks on my birthday every year. Every year there was a walk to raise awareness for hunger relief in the suburbs of Chicago, and I wanted to do that walk every year on now, my birthday. Hold on. What you, how old were you when that started, that walk? It started about the same time, 8 or 10, and I remember having so much fun the first time we went, and it happened to always be right around my birthday, and that's what I wanted to do on my birthday weekend. So for your birthday, you want to actually do the walk to raise money for the poor? Yeah. So I taught fifth grade. That's years amazing. Ago. I taught fifth grade years ago. If a student of mine came up to me as a fifth grader and said, I'd like to do a walk, uh, for social on justice, my birthday, for social justice, and I to would, raise it, money for the poor. I would have thought, not, "Wow, not typical, not typical, Josh." Yeah. I mean, that, that Josh, that really amazes me. That for my birthday, I wanted a baseball, a football, go outside and play. And uh, when I was eight years old or ten, I was not exactly thinking about. He still social does. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, my parents really led by example and invited us to participate in the ways they were living out the social justice mission of the church through different initiatives and made made giving back fun and made it about relationships. Uh, I have a question, Josh. Really, with what you're just fun. saying with you know going to the walks for your birthday to raise money for the poor and social justice, um, were your friends on board with this? Or are they teasing you about this? Or did you get some of them to join you in all of this? Uh, I tried to get them to join me. It was definitely a long experience. I remember fast forward to high school, I said I wanted to go to a Jesuit university to study nonprofit management. And my friends all looked at me like, um, you can make money doing this? All my other friends yeah. were saying they want to go be a you know computer programmer or whatever because it makes the most money, and I'm like, I want to go study nonprofit management. Now, it's, see, it's very interesting. Your mindset, where many young people who are doing a great job and they're good people, but how much money can I make? Yours was about the gospel of Christ, about relationship building, and, and bettering a community. But I need to ask you this. In how many trips have you made to Haiti? I have made 16-plus trips to Haiti. Now, here's the thing. You can go over there and touch people's lives, but I'm sure you'd be the first to say you have gained more and learned more from that community, how they have touched you, than whatever you gave them. Oh, for sure. And it's, it's even deeper than that. It's that first trip to Haiti that I recognize that it's not about the work that you do there. And I, I am actually a big proponent of really recognizing before anyone travels abroad that you're going to learn yourself and that any manual work could easily be done by people locally there. So the biggest thing that you can do when you're going abroad is simply to listen and to experience the culture and to embrace and encounter kind of their, see how they witness their faith in a daily basis. So Josh, you've been there 16 plus times. Mm -hmm. Relationship is important to you. Who's your best friend in Haiti and why? Oh, that's just a tough question. I have so many best friends. I have a Haitian mother, as I call her. I have my best friend is actually my country director. Um, we have grown really close. After my father passed away, I learned that his father actually passed away when he was 14 years old and he was struck by lightning. And oh, sometimes wow. we forget that crises like that, you know, happen all over the world. And um, the church, Catholic Church actually really took his family in. And so he got to know many the Catholic priests, and that's how I actually got to know him was through the Catholic Church Network in Haiti. How are these storms impacting Haiti right now? 
Yeah, so one thing that I think a lot of us might forget living here in the United States is that a country like Haiti, because the primary fuel source that people cook with is charcoal, and that's something we're working to address for unlocking communities, the country is 98% deforested. Did you repeat repeat that again? Because I don't think, I didn't know that, did you? 98% of the country is deforested. And, And cooking with charcoal. And cooking with charcoal. So it's every day it becomes more and more deforested. But what happens wow. is any time it rains, there's all it's all dirt because all the trees have been taken down. And the biggest thing that prevents landslides in developing countries where you don't have infrastructure is trees because they absorb so much of the water and prevent massive landslides. So what, hap- what happened was mo- few people died during the tropical storms because of the landslides. Um, oh. Wow. And luckily, you know, Unlocking Community sells clean, clean-burning clean stoves that use 50% less charcoal and water filtration systems. And right after a storm, you can't go buy any clean water. So having a water filtration system in your home for your family to use is the only way that you can drink clean water in the aftermath of a storm. So luckily, the tropical storm wasn't as bad as it is now when it's approaching the U.S. this morning. But and by the way, did, 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 did it hit landfall in New Orleans? Yes. Yeah. Char- or is what's it called? Um, Lake Charles or something? Was it called that? Uh, yeah, right on the Texas Louisiana mm-hmm. border. I'm pretty sure. And it pounded pretty badly here. Or from what they said last night, it was supposed to hit be very, very bad and really crush the coast there. And uh, out of curiosity, Josh, when did the deforestation begin in Haiti? How many years ago? So it began. It began with really coloniz- when colonization started happening in Haiti and. There was so much, the country was actually really rich in natural resources that people came and mm. really took a lot of the natural resources and they out the of whole, the country, the whole country. the whole country of natural resources. Yeah, because I, I'm, I'm very much an environmentalist, and it breaks my heart when you have all these trees cut down and always in the name of progress or money. And then and being a big bird watcher, I've seen more species become extinct because of loss of habitat. And also, you know, they slam into buildings and, you know, but less places for breeding. Uh, I believe in global warming, the changes there. And so it uh, now in yeah. let me ask you this. In, in the, you're going with your work to Haiti. How would you come up with the name Unlocking Communities? Yeah, the very title great, intrigues me. Yeah, that's a great question. And to answer that question, I'm going to remind your listeners that they weren't listening to our first segment we did back a few months ago. The mission of Unlocking Communities is to equip entrepreneurs with the education and tools to sell sustainable products that unlock economic, social, and environmental transformations. So for all those business people out there, the really the triple bottom line of economic savings, health savings, and environmental savings. And the name Unlocking Communities really comes out of Catholic social teaching and the work of Gustavo Gutierrez that you know, talks about to be a, a voice, a voice for those without a voice, and the importance of helping communities find their voice. And that really all we're doing in, with unlocking communities is help, helping to provide access to loans of products for communities so that they can begin to find their voice through starting businesses to sell these products that benefit their own health, save families money, and also save the environment. And one family last month Father Greg, reported saving 75% of the money that they would spend on charcoal to cook with because they bought a new stove. 
Wow. So that's 75 cents for each meal they save, which when you're living on $5 or less per day, that's a lot of money. That's, that's two or $3 a lot of money. Day. We close today's program with an important reminder that you can attend Mass online by visiting our website, artschicago.org. That's artschicago.org. The Masses are also available on Facebook and our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash catholicchicago. Our thanks to ABC7 for televising our English Sunday Mass at 9.30 in the morning, to Univision for televising our Spanish-language Mass at 10 a.m., and Polevision for televising our Polish-language Mass Sunday at 9 a.m. and 3 p.m. Thanks for listening to us every Saturday morning on Relevant Radio 9.50 and 9.30 a.m. I'm Michael May for Catholic Chicago Week in Review. Have a great weekend. Join us every Saturday morning for Catholic Chicago Week in Review. You can stream our programs live or listen to past programs by visiting our website, archchicago.org, and clicking on Radio TV. And please connect with Catholic Chicago on social media.